Rock and Roll for Initiative is an immature adult podcast played by a group of weirdos. Don't listen to it if you're easily triggered. here i'm here with the boys as always we got some new audio equipment so from this point forward we'll be doing things the right way the sexy way the only way my way or the highway yes thank you very much mr kevin so uh today guys i want you to as always give us a little fun fact about your character but why don't why don't you throw a deep cut the listener's way in addition something something deep something personal something you would be Reluctant to share otherwise. I'm going to start on my left. I'm Andy. I play grumpy old bassist Benedict McIntyre. I'll start with a fun fact. He's allergic to peanuts, actually, Mm. but he's never told anybody because he doesn't want to seem weak. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a common allergy. He he doesn't want people to know. And, he's uh, just like swelling up at the <laughs> in the throat, and he's like, "Oh, that's fine." <laughs> deep personal fact about Benedict: he has not seen any of his family since 1981. Very specific. What happened in 1981? What happened in 1980? I mean, almost died. He just doesn't like his family, and he doesn't really care about his family. Does he have he, kids? He does not. No kids. Oh. No no relatives. No brothers. No sisters. Not seen a family member in 45 years. Hi, I am Nathan, and I play the fun-loving alcoholic of the group, George Jordson. Um, fun fact about George is I totally forgot it. Uh, I had it, and now it is gone. Hi, I'm Zach. I <laughs> Crawford Mawson, the band's lead guitarist and backup vocalist. Fun fact about Crawford Mawson is that he loves cranberry juice, adores it, it makes him piss a lot. I also like cranberry But he loves cranberry juice. His deep personal fact is that he hates country music. He thinks it's lowest common denominator music and he really wants to be a white rapper. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, it's a lucrative business. Alright, hi, I'm Kevin. I play uh, the number one shining front man of the group, Gil Albright. Uh, And fun fact about Gil this week is that Gil has a scar on the bottom of his foot. When he was little, he stepped on a broken bottle that he found on the beach. Just simple. I you know. you're gonna say no. Lego. No, no, not quite. No, it hurts like the Dickens to step on one, but I appreciate what you did there. Yeah. Uh, so deep cut about Gil is that he does not think that he should be the leader of the band. He doesn't think he can do it. He doesn't oh. believe in himself enough. Oh man. Circling back around Nate. Right, back you, uh... George. So, fun fact about George is he loves the Dixie Chicks that are also now known as just the Chicks. Um, and a deep cut for George is is how do how do I say this gently? I guess he wants to love his family, but he really couldn't be bothered to care. Wow. They're a roof over his head, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm supposed to be the shitty one, not him. I think we're all kind of shitty in our own right, uh-huh. except for Larry. Larry is golden. So our dear friend, Tyler, who would normally be playing with us, is currently unable to as of the recording of these episodes. And his character, Larry Spritzer, was an integral part of the band. We hope to see you soon, Tyler. And with that, let's get rolling into The Old Blessing. blessing. Part Part one. One. You wanted the whole story, right? You wanted all of it? So that's what I'm giving you. 
exactly what you asked. So tell me, should I go on, or are you gonna kill me? Either way, I'm ready. Are you? Damn it! I don't understand. I'm telling you what you want to know. I mean, I... Fine. Fine. You win. I... I'm not who I've said I am. Crawford... He's... He's not who you think he is. Like I was saying... We stepped through the gates of the Old Blessed. Everything that happened there... Well... It changed... It changed everything. Tell me more. When we last left off, Breaking Wind had uh, received some shocking allegations at them from a mysterious shade as they prepared to enter the sacred hills of the old blessed graveyard. And what you see, Breaking Wind, before you head in, you see that the old blessed is very hilly and very steep. From the gate, looking straight ahead, you can see this this incline. This is going to be quite a hike as you traverse this place. Maybe about half a mile straight ahead, there is a large stone wall that covers the perimeter of your vision, so you cannot see past this stone wall about half a mile ahead. You do see that there is a path which diverges to the right and to the left. You can see off to your right that there are amongst these rolling hills many, many ornate graves and grave markers. They look very old and weathered. Uh, They're not necessarily standing upright. This is a very haunting sight. The way these graves are hanging, you can see wisps of light bounce between the graves and around the dirt road. And you also see, just as you enter, right to the left, there is a small open-air shed. It kind of looks like a train depot. And as your group stands there with the shade's words in your minds and your hearts... You can feel the the heaviness in the air of this place. There is something about being here that simply, I don't want to say brings you down, but it has a weight to it. Well, this has been an experience so far. Uh, (laughs) I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. George uh, takes a drink from his flask. After hearing those words, he's cut to the bone, but... In doing so, he kind of looks at his flask in disdain. He knows, he knows those words were right. Ooh. Crawford Mawson thinks nothing of it. He knows those words were right. Gil looks down at the ground, scratches the back of his head. Guys, uh, I think we should keep going. as you step through the old iron wrought gates into the old blessed you see exactly what I described rolling hills to the right of old graves and grave markers strange wisps of light that sort of dance between the graves almost like fireflies but they they appear in many different colors always translucent though and the sky in this area is very gray very overcast it looks as though it's about to storm but it feels very still at the same time. You see an open-air depot to your left, and the path at your feet uh, can go either up the hill or down to the right past the graves. Well, let's just go check out the depot, just because it's right there. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so as you walk to the depot, this looks very similar to the depot that you had seen just outside the small village of Rosewood where you met the one and only Tad Doyle. Uh, It looks as though this used to be either some sort of log stop for people maybe visiting, or if there were train tracks that used to be here, maybe they kept track, though you you don't see any tracks around now. Um, 
the shelves are completely empty. The dusty counter, which looks as though it hasn't had hands laid upon it in quite a long time, has a single bell. I think we should ring the bell. Yeah, I say we ring that bell. All right, but before we do this, let's not ask for another inspirational speech from him. Because if you remember the last one, yeah, that's true. Was less than inspirational. No, like it yeah. started out good and then, and then it just ended badly. Yeah, yeah. Let's not do yeah, that. Bad yeah. first date. <laughs> Gil walks up and rings the bell. The bell echoes throughout the hills, the chiming of it. It, You can actually hear the sound reverberate, and you hear a voice, a sonorous, familiar voice, but you don't see anything. Just behind the counter, it's like crackling through static. It almost sounds like a recording. Welcome to Doyle Co. Express. Gifts behind the counter for first-time visitors. Free refreshments. New wares coming soon. I was really hoping he'd show up. I guess he's not here, yeah. Bastard. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, roll a spot check. Me. Or just look behind the counter. See if there's any any free gifts. Alright, so looking behind the counter, you don't even need to roll anything for this. You can see that on the other side of the counter, there is a large foot trunk. Like a, a large luggage trunk. Uh, about five feet long. And it is not, like, wide open, but you can tell that it's been unlatched and simply needs to be opened. I give it the old uh, link kick. (laughs) You see a bevy of items before you that bring you a little bit of comfort. So what you see in this chest, I'm going to lay it all out and then you can decide to divvy it up. What you see in this chest is a short spear, a short sword, a buckler, a long sword, a large, heavy maul, a pouch with a strange powder in it. When you touch this powder, it kind of crackles at your fingertips. And four very plain-looking black cloaks. Okay. So looking over everything, looks at the cloaks, and is like, well, I guess there's one for each of us, so don't have to worry about that. Then he uh, goes over and picks up the spear and says, do you guys mind if I take this? Oh, good. George had thought about it, but no, that's fine. Yeah, as did Crawford, but he didn't. So as you grab the short spear, you pick it up in your hands. This is this is a high-quality weapon compared to what you've encountered in your, your, your scruples thus far. Now, being that you guys are from Gary, Indiana, you know, handling medieval <laughs> melee-based weaponry is not... A, you know, not our forte. Not a, not a forte, not, not a greatest. thing. So you are surprised at the the heft of this. You look up and you see that the blade, the, the spearhead, which is in a leaf shape, is razor sharp and pretty wide. So you could both slash with this and thrust with it. It uh, doesn't give you a lot of reach, yeah. but it's also it's very nimble in the hands. And with your pole dancing background, you feel very comfortable holding this. Okay. I will say in addition... As you each all put on your cloaks, when you uh, kind of clip it around your neck, you feel a slight gust of wind. Very slight, just enough to make your cloaks flow. Cinematically. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to have to thank him for the cinematic cloaks. Some windbreakers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, not anymore. Suddenly, the crackling comes back and the recording of Tad's voice. Traumatize local children for life with magic tricks? Why not do it with some billowing wind? This cloak allows you to make cinematic billowing wind to shrug off basic, well, nothing fancy, at your will! The cloaks of billowing allow you, on command, to create a slight billowing, fluttering effect under the cloak to make it flow. There are some practical uses you can think of for that, but it's mostly just for show. However, they do give you all an AC bonus of plus one. Hells yeah. Sick. Hell yeah. George's going to take a look at the, the heavy maul you mentioned. Is that a, is that a two-hander? Oh, it sure is. Um, George. Yeah. George's going to take that maul. As you lift this up, you can see that this is, this is you know an instrument of destruction. It's very heavy. There is a small 
wrought iron spike that sticks out of one end of the head, and the shaft is made entirely of iron that has been gelded into the wood. Hell yeah. Well, Crawford, after you. Uh, so Zach wants to know what is on the table. I know you said I just yeah, didn't yeah. forget. So there was the short spear that Gil took, mm-hmm. uh, the, a long sword, a buckler, uh, a maul, short sword, a pouch of some strange, like, flashing powder, and those four cloaks. As well as a single bag of peanuts. He did say there were refreshments. Feel free to take the peanuts. I think I'm going to gra- uh, Crawford's going to grab the peanuts. He's going to grab the pouch and the buckler, if that's cool. Yeah, you can take one of the swords, too. All right, yeah, I'll take the... Long two sword. sword. I don't need two swords. Which kind of... Uh, which sword would you prefer? I don't care. I'll, I'll take the short sword. Okay, uh, as you grab the short sword, the peanuts, the buckler, and the pouch, you hear the recording once again crackle and come on and says, Ah, I see you found my special recipe flash pouch. Tired of people getting up in your face? Up in your business, just sprinkle a little flash powder at your feet, and they'll be blinded in an instant. Fun for the whole family. That's pretty useful. This is reminding me of the vending machines in Bioshock, actually. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the circus of values. Oh my god. So Such this flash game. pouch, there's enough here for about six or seven uh, sprinklings of flash powder. Okay. Fair enough. And I will take the longsword, since that is all that is left. (laughs) Fantastic. As you all equip your items, I will say both this short sword and the longsword, they look almost like brothers. Uh, The hilt, the wrapping, the way that there's uh, the the little pommel at the bottom. They're pretty basic, but you can tell that they must have either been crafted by the same person or kind of in the same area. Uh, The blades are weighted perfectly and razor sharp. So once again, you know, this is this is kind of new to you guys. Like, oh geez, these aren't these aren't, you know, reproduction weapons that you might find at the the local Gary Indiana Fair. These are weapons of death. The, the Gare Fair. The Gare Fair. Yes. All right, so as you equip yourselves, uh, you exit the small little depot. So once again, there's a path at your feet. One end leads up the steep hill towards that wall that's about a half mile away. And again, this hill is, it's a trek, you know. They, it's lined with broken gravestones. Off to the right, you have a whole maze of gravestones and markers. Um, but... Even just going up this hill, it's quite a bit of a trek. Or you could follow the path down to the right and into somewhere you can't quite see from here. So I think we should head uh, to the right first, instead of up the hill? Yeah, up, I mean, up the yep. hill carrying all this shit might be a little uh, tiring. George, uh, George is just set to follow <laughs> Gil, the follower said it. Yeah. Would you like to lead the way? I'll have your back, like always. Yeah, let's go. Golden Gill in front, I think. Yeah, yep. George doesn't want to be up front, and he doesn't want to be in the back. I think it's going to go Gill in front, myself, Crawford, Moss, and then George. Then George, then George, with Benedict in the back. He's seen enough shit to feel comfortable in the back. As you set off down the rightward path, it goes right past the entry gate and walks downhill. So as you're walking down this path, as you hear the dirt crunching underfoot, just looking around, you see those sort of wisps of light crackling between the gravestones that are now to your left as you're walking this path. Um, Sometimes those wisps occasionally make their way close to you, but they dissipate before uh, reaching. They're translucent in many different colors. The ground, as far as the eye can see, is just brown. We're talking dead grass, mud, dirt. And as you're going down this path, walking near the graves, you can all hear a faint humming. <laughs> 
It almost sounds kind of like a hymn. All these voices are humming in different tones, but they're all humming the same sort of mournful, sorrowful sound as you continue down this trail. George is just going to do a perception over the graveyard, see if he sees anything. It's a 12. So looking around, uh, as you're coming down this trail, you can see where this path is going to end up. Uh, it looks as though at the corner, this le- this leads to the bottom right corner of the old blessed. Uh, there's a fence, you know, that iron rot fence that runs the whole perimeter of the place. There is an open air amphitheater, it almost looks like, maybe for special events. It looks to be made of some sort of stone. It's still pretty far down the trail, so you can't quite tell. But it's also definitely overgrown. You can see even from here there's vines and detritus all over, uh, both the amphitheater and the seats the circular seats which surround it. You can see up the hill to your left that the graves are not just haphazardly arranged, they're almost maze-like. You're pretty sure that's where the sound is coming from. Do we want to go investigate that, or because I don't want to? The the sound through the graves or the amphitheater? Uh, All of it. Well, we're going to have to do something here. Uh, can't, Can't just stand around and do nothing. Gil uh, looks over in the direction of the amphitheater and says, we should check that out first. It's closer. Not as creepy. Yeah. George says, I'm right behind you guys. Okay. As your group continues down the trail, uh, it's a good 10, 15 minute walk, you know, pretty lengthy. You approach the amphitheater and you see confirming what George had seen, that this is pretty overgrown. Whatever its purpose was, it hasn't been used in quite some time. There is a circular like stone slab in the center that's about 15 feet uh, above the ground and this is where something would be presented it's overgrown with vines and leaves and then built into the little bowl here into the hillside are uh, stone benches that kind of circle around you do notice standing here in the amphitheater it is not quite as audible the uh, the humming and the moaning coming from the direction of the graves You also see, as you're standing on this amphitheater, north, up the steep hill, a little bit through the line of graves, you can just see the steeple of it, kind of because of the angle of the hill, an old church or chapel of some sort. Can I do an investigation on the uh, amphitheater, see if I can find anything special? Absolutely. Find something special about it. An 11. So as you're looking around uh, investigating this amphitheater, you see that there are power outlets underneath the overgrown vines uh, around this circular stage. Once again, confirming this is something where either something was played or something was presented. Mm. You see no break in any of the overgrowth whatsoever. Nothing to indicate that anyone's been to this spot in quite some time. It is also very cold here. So Gil looks, you know, kind of kneels down on the on the amphitheater, amphitheater <laughs> looks at the power outlets and kind of questions it and says, hey guys, there's power outlets here. We, we haven't really seen any anything use electricity in this area. Have not, we yet? I don't uh, no, I even think they said something about it really not being a thing. I could be mistaken. Yeah. It's been a long, confusing kind of journey it's truth but um yeah no this is definitely the first time we've seen any kind of actual power outlet uh you think your harp will clear up any of that undergrowth overgrowth gill reaches into his into his pocket pulls out the the gateway harp you know what? worth a try roll a performance it is going to be a 16 As you play some notes from the Gateway Harp, you can see why this amphitheater would have been used quite a bit. Because of the bowl, the way they sort of dug a bowl out to put this amphitheater in here, the sound reverberates in a very natural and beautiful way. And as you play those notes, the overgrowth both on the stage, on the floor, and all over the seats begins to recede back into the earth. Nicely done. That Nicely is done. Awesome. You, well, we, there's precedence. We've seen it happen. Hey. <laughs> All right. So let's. Uh, George's gonna roll a perception on um, the the center of the stage where he said it was like elevated. Uh, that's a nine. 
a nine. So as you're looking at the center of this, you actually see, George, that uh, it's not just that the stage was built this way. This is a a movable stand made of stone, like a, a, a tall slab made of stone that was placed on the center of this amphitheater. I'm... I'm going to shove it. Benedict takes a step back from everything he's seen. Oh. Roll a strength. It's pretty hefty. Uh, it's a 19 on the strength scale. Cool. So uh, with a pretty good deal of effort, you know, it's tough at first, but once you kind of get, mo- get it moving, it slides pretty easily. As you slide that stone slab away, you see that there is a small little hole uh, carved out directly in the center of the stage. And the only thing in this small hole is a folded piece of parchment. It looks very old. I'm going to try to pick that up very carefully. As you pick this up and unfold it carefully, you know, you feel as though one small movement, this thing could just crumple to dust. This note is not what you expected. It is handwritten. You can tell this was written quite some time ago. And the note simply reads, That David always watches those mournful players. Damn it, David. That David always watches those mournful players? Damn it, that David. We don't know anybody named David, so... Well, I mean, David and Goliath. I mean, I'm gonna guess David's long, long gone. What about David Spade? We do know of him. I think that that is a... Do we, do we, do do we keep that or do we put that back? I, I mean... I don't know if it'll survive. That's being what I mean. If put we anywhere, if we keep it, it definitely won't survive. Um, I think I want to set that back in its place and remember what it said. Yeah, I mean it's pretty simple to remember. So, yeah, I guess George carefully puts it back into the hole. As he's putting that that away, Gil, uh, it's like, wait, can can I see that again for a second? Just wanted to to read it again. All right, so it says once again. That David always watches those mournful players. Maybe maybe it's like a, a Nick Cage thing here. Maybe we have to like light it on fire to get like, you know. Let's gather some more information before lighting pieces of parchment on fire. Well, those mournful players, we're in a cemetery. I mean, so I, that's got to have something to do with it, right? Personally, we are in the hymnal. Could be, could be sad music. Could be, you know, blues. A lot of blues here lately. Maybe, maybe this David like just got his rocks off by watching people cry over their mourn dead ones. You know, yeah. mourning over their dead ones. Well, since my baby left me, type I, I don't know. Looks up at the church, uh, guys. I think we should. I think we need to go up there now, guys. I, I really don't want to go up there. George is, is pretty visibly scared of this area. Roll a willpower, George. Seven. As you stare up that hill, George, you specifically, you feel the the sort of humming that's coming from those gravestones and what that sounds like a thousand different voices deeply in your chest, and you are you are horrified. Well, maybe we should just take the other road first before we go get lost in some graves. I wouldn't go down that road. Down my road now. <laughs> Fine, we can we can check out the church later. Uh, Gil starts walking back the way we came. Crawford follows. So as you walk uh, back along the path, once again, when the path gets close to the graves, uh, you all hear that sort of humming, moaning, wailing, whatever you want to call it. It sounds like thousands of voices, different voices, all humming the same tune. And some rain begins to fall. And you find yourself back at the junction. Are you going to follow the path uphill? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So same for- follow the group. Same formation as before? Yeah. So as you follow the path uphill, uh, you all are very briefly startled when a murder of crows quickly calls and emerges from behind. Crawford Mawson is touched. He loves crows. Aww. Does he love counting them? Oh, uh, no, he, he is not fond of counting crows, both actually and the band. <laughs> Having seen them live in person, Zach can attest. So as you're moving up the hill, this is, this is a steep climb, you know? Even though that wall, whatever it is, at the top of the hill is only about a half mile away, you're 
you're huffing and puffing as you're trudging up here. As you look to your left of the road, there's just a short distance between this small path and the fence that runs the whole perimeter of this. You do see a few broken old tombstones kind of along the side of the road. You see some light from, uh, we'll just call them like will-o'-the-wisps, like light kind of dancing between those. But again, anytime it looks like that strange translucent light is about to hit the road, it stops. And as the road crests, you come to the top of the hill and you see three things before you. That wall is very large. You cannot see what is beyond it. It is made of old carved stone. There are names that look like they were carved into each and individual stone a long, long time ago. There are some very classic gothic looking gargoyles atop the wall. There is a large wrought iron, very ornate fence that seems to lead through the wall. Uh, or not fence, gate. It is locked. You can see that it is very heavily locked. Uh, like in a stereotypical, there's two big chains in an X with a big, like, circular thing in the center of it. And there is also what looks to be a small hut to your left. It looks worn down, ramshackle, kind of like uh, Iron Rod Tonement's little shack. Crawford Mawson I, I think we should says I think we should head over to that hut. We need the boss key. In <laughs> <laughs> a graveyard full of poems. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I agree. Gil looks at the group, says, "Think anyone's home?" Um, give a knock. Yeah, I feel, feel like give, give a knock. Pro- Swampy's probably here. Maybe, yeah, maybe Swampy Toneman. So as you approach the uh, the shack, you you see that there is no smoke or anything coming from the chimney. You don't hear anything inside or smell anything. As you approach the shack, there is a small little, like, front porch. It's maybe sticks five feet out from the house, just something with a rocking chair on it, right? You can see that there's a pair of old, dusty gardening gloves on the rocking chair and what looks to be a shovel leaning against the door. Alrighty. Seeing this all in front of him, Crawford Mawson would like to roll a perception to see if he sees any hose around. Like gardening like hose. Gardening hose. Yes. Yeah, roll a perception. That is a super solid svelte, maybe seven. <laughs> uh, it doesn't take much look, and you see right on the uh, right side of the gardener's shack, there is a uh, standing, what you would assume to be like tool cabinet. Uh, it is closed, but uh, do you open it? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he, Crawford Mawson's content. Uh, he contemplates, you know, being respectful of the dead versus wanting to see what's in this. To- Boys, you think I should open this? I don't see why not. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Do it. I'm going to open the tool, uh, tool thing, see what's there. All right. So as you open the standing tool shed, uh, both of the small uh, thin doors creak as you pull it open, and you see that it is entirely empty inside, except for a weathered old, looks to be almost like a musket, leaning against the inside of the wall. Oh boy, howdy, would you look at that. Guys, there's a gun in here. You know how to use that, right, Craw? I do. You grew I up do. on a farm, right? I, I had to put down a lot of... I, I, th- I, w- I want to inspect the gun, maybe pick it up. First roll of bluff. <laughs> <laughs> There's my one. So, uh, <laughs> as you say that, Craw, you know, as you... Oh, yeah, I've done this, but I had to put down a bunch of animals. For the first time ever, Gil, you're starting to question who Crawford <laughs> Mawson really is. What you do with that is up to you, but... Uh, you feel like, for the first time, you're starting to say, you know, maybe maybe he's not quite what he says he is. Well, should, should I roll a perception to see if I even pick up on that? Oh, with that one, I'm going to say you absolutely picked up okay. on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Zach would like to know, does everybody pick up on it or just him? I feel like George and Benedict already kind of knew. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Benedict only. He's <laughs> but, 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 uh, You're lifting the veil Gil's on, on, Gil's, yeah, yeah, yeah. on Gil's innocence there. Okay, that works. S- switching dice to avoid the one and two I just got. <laughs> Do you take the musket? I do take the musket. All right, so as you pick up this musket, it's very dusty. There's actual uh, cobwebs 
that are dangling from some of the small iron brackets all around it. Uh, this looks to be a percussion cap musket, and it is not loaded. There's no cap, no percussion cap on the lip, um, but you have it. It's pretty hefty. I'm okay. Well, I I think I'm Crawford. He's a muscular boy. He's okay with that. He's he's feeling, but he's muscular. All right. Now, so, uh, does, sling it. does Crawford recognize any of the things that Zach was just told? Roll a <laughs> roll, <laughs> roll a wisdom craw. Uh, sixteen. You you somehow deep in the recesses of your memory, you remember like uh, maybe a history teacher that uh, touched you mentally, and uh, you are at least aware that this is a late stage musket. So when I say percussion cap, it means a more modern musket. You know, I did have a history teacher that I knew who touched me profoundly, and it was my DM. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but yes, I do take yep. the musket. All right. You sling it on your back. Hell yeah. Alright, so after uh, after Craw picks up the musket, Gil's gonna finally knock on the door, see if anybody's anybody's in the residence. Alright, so as you knock on the door, it is a door made of wood. The wood actually presses in to your touch. Uh, so, water damaged heavily. You feel like if you were to fully knock on this, you would just inadvertently punch Break straight right through, through it. So okay. it's more of a wet thwapping. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. Uh, uh, I well, take her well, home every night at my bar. Gil, uh, you know, thwaps wetly on that door, I guess. Oh, I hate that I just said that. <laughs> All right, uh, as you thwap wetly on the door. <laughs> oh, God. Just the tip. <laughs> some of the wood. <laughs> some of the wood breaks in to your touch, and the door actually falls forward towards you. Oh, It is it is light as a feather. It, it, it's like a, a moist piece of cardboard <laughs> landing and sliding down you. So it's like f***ing an old woman? It's like a moist piece of cardboard <laughs> just landing and sliding you down you. Sliding right on down. Oh, God. And you can see uh, inside the shack. It is, it is very dark. You can tell it's small. You'll have to go in to actually examine it. But what you do see is at the far end of the shack, under a little window, there's a desk. Uh, you can see a large book of some sorts on the desk, as well as some other things. And you hear a faint, creaking, rocking noise from somewhere in the shack. Hey, is, is anyone in here? There is no response. George runs up, and he's like, I, I, I don't think we should go in there. It never works out. Wet thwaps never work out. We, we're not here for, you know, to hurt you or anything. We just, we're, we're looking for swampy toneman. Crawford hastily falls. Yes. As you step into the shack, uh, the wood underfoot groans and creaks. Uh, it is not water damaged, uh, but it groans and creaks. And you immediately, you know, you got a little stifling cough because there is he just a heavy amount of dust in the air. <coughs> and looking around this shack, you see it really is small. So there's a desk uh, about 15 feet in front of you at the end. To your right, there is what looks to be like a small kettle stove and a small bedroll, not even a cot, just a bedroll on the ground. You can see a small chest which looks to be overflowing with clothes that looks like it hasn't been touched in some long time. And the creaking noise that you heard comes from the corner. Now the corner is shrouded entirely in darkness. The, the way that this shack is designed, no outside light is escaping, but you do hear a soft, gentle creaking as though there's a rocking chair, perhaps. Uh, Gil approaches, <laughs> approaches the creaking. Crawford Mawson would like to whip out his phone and turn the flashlight on? Ooh. As soon as you turn on the flashlight, Gil, you're taken aback very briefly when you see what is in that dark corner. There is indeed a rocking chair, a large, sturdy rocking chair, and sitting in the rocking chair as it continues to rock is the emaciated corpse of a dwarf. Fuck this. The beard hairs have long since overgrown. Its eyes have sunk. There's very little flesh 
that remains on the bones. Its mouth is agape in a contorted manner as its hands rest comfortably on the rocking chair. It's like the empty eye sockets are staring at you as the chair simply rocks. Crawford Mawson just turns away. <laughs> and now you're in the darkness, Gil. <laughs> Gil, kind of shocked at what he just saw, kind of stumbles back and trips and lands on his butt. Yeah, I'll, I'll say you land on the bedroll, which k- kicks up a whole slew of dust directly into your face. <coughs> coughing through the... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <coughs> coughing through the through the dust. Um, <coughs> was, guys, I think I... I think we found Swampy. I, uh, I mean, it yeah. could be another dwarf. I mean, George is standing about 20 feet away from the front door. Okay. And he's just kind of, what, what's going on? All right, get Gil. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take a look at the corpse. You let them know what's going on. Then they come back in with you, and I'll look at the corpse. I can just tell them from here. I, I, I can. Oh yeah, you, you got a great voice. <laughs> you can project your voice. <laughs> They're not too far. I can just. <laughs> Why don't we? Well, let's harmonize. <laughs> oh boys! <laughs> so Benedict and George, that's all you hear from the shack. Oh boy! Uh, Benedict's not shocked at all. He's just like, yeah, all right, that's funny. George gets about ten feet closer and stops. <laughs> Privately, Crawford puts his hand on Gill and just goes, "We've seen a lot of fucked up stuff. I don't think we're ever gonna recover from. <laughs> I just want you to know that I'm happy that you're here with me." Yeah, yeah, no, no problem, Craw. Stay, uh, stay golden, Gill. <laughs> Gill uh, stands up. Thoughts himself off. As you do, uh, the only sound is the silent creaking of the emaciated dwarf corpse in the rocking chair. Gil pulls out his phone, turns the light on. I, I want to uh, investigate to see if he is killed or if this is like a natural, maybe unnatural. We'll find out. Uh, that is an eight. An eight? Yeah. All right, so... Looking at the corpse, uh, you're, you're a little hesitant to get right up in its business, but as you shine the light on it, you do notice a couple of things. Uh, one, in its lap, there is a small piece of parchment that is just sitting nice and cradled comfortably in its lap. Uh, two, this is this corpse has definitely been here for quite some time. Uh, this is not anything that happened recently. It, it is almost fully skeletal. There's just some pale remembrance of flesh that clings to some of the bones. And he's still got a beard. This is some good Just roots. continued to grow. <laughs> but you do see uh, where its throat would be. There is a large gash in the flesh. Mmm. Uh, yeah, Gil picks up the note, I guess. Looks like they snuffed him. Alright, so looking at the note, you see that this, again, written quite some time ago, uh, as you read it to yourself, it reads almost like poetry. And the note reads, And the bell was struck, which slept the horde, then hung above, which pleased the Lord. And the bell was struck, which slept the horde, then hung above, which pleased the Lord. Any ideas on that, crawl? No, that, uh... That doesn't sound too familiar to me, but I'll uh, I'll head to the doorway, call the other guys, and see what happens. Well, while you're doing that, I'll I'll, I'll keep looking around. I want to like walk with enough to keep him in my peripheral. Don't want to let him out of my sight. Gotcha. So, Krama, as you uh walk to the entryway, and Gil, uh, you you said you're gonna go check out the table. Yeah, just you know, whatever's still as you go out. to do that. The only other noise aside from the creaking of your footsteps in this room is the gentle rocking of the chair, which just ceaselessly goes back and forth. So, uh, there's a dead body in there. I told you not to go in there. Well, it may or may not be who we're looking for. We're still trying to figure that out, but you guys can come on in. Uh, George George ain't going in there. Get yourself a little liquid courage in your buddy? I will do that anyways. But I still ain't going in there. Come to the doorway? I'll come closer. Okay. That's I'll, I'll, I'll stand on the porch. I I can agree to that. Benedict, would you like to come in? Yeah, I'll come in. I'll come in right inside the doorway. All right, sounds good to me. Uh, George George begins to drink from his flask and guards the front door. <laughs> I, I picture you just shaking, like nervously <laughs> looking around. Crawford uh, turns to George. Uh, 
yeah, yeah, turns to George, says, uh, what's your safe word? If, so, if you see something, what are you saying to us? Bananas! Bananas. That so. shit's bananas! <laughs> Benedict, you walk in? Yeah. All right, so as you walk in, you see the interior of this shack as well. Um, with Cross shining his phone light in the corner, you can see the emaciated corpse that continues to rock. Now, Gil, as you went over to the desk with your wonderful passive perception, Aww. examining the desk, you can see that this is a, a pretty simple writer's desk. However, you notice all of the drawers have been pulled out. They're not strewn on the floor. They're just not in, so okay. there are no drawers. On the top of the desk, there's a very, very thick old book with a leather-bound cover. It simply says, Log. And sitting next to that book are just some odds and ends. You got some writing utensils, you know, a pair of pliers, a miniature gardening shovel. Nothing that stands out. Yeah, Gil, I'll, I'll pick that up and open it up, see if I can decipher anything out of that. It is hefty. It is thick. And as you open it to the first page, you can tell that there's <laughs> there, there's going to be a lot of information in here. It's written in like a chicken scratch type scrawl. All you, you see words all up and down this page and just flipping through each and every page looks the same. It looks as though there's hundreds of pages in here. Uh, you might, you might wanted to try and decipher this. This is going to take some time to really focus in on. Okay, I'll uh, bring it with me then. Pick it up, put it in my bag. Book bag. Can, does Benedict see this? Yes. Uh, can I be like, uh, you know, just just flip to the last page real quick for me. I want to see, see what's on the last page. Yeah, Gil leafs through the book right to the last page. As you get to the last page, uh, something stands out about this page. There is only one line that is filled on this page. It simply reads, David. And then, after a small indent, it says, self-inflicted. So is this a log? Go back one more page, out of curiosity. Is this just a log of uh, people buried here? So as you flip backwards now, with kind of that context in mind, you start to believe that, yes, that's exactly what it is. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of names written in this. As the further you flip back, the more difficult it is to decipher exactly what it says. But even the most, the, even the final pages look as though they had happened quite some time ago. But yes, uh, you believe this to be a log of everyone who died and was buried here. So I, while you're going through that log, uh, Crawford Mawson would like to further investigate the dead body, check out its like pockets, shit like that, see if there's any identification. He puts on his sunglasses, though, uh, and asks one of them to hold up his phone. Okay. Um, are you trying to do this, like, carefully, or are you just rummaging, like... Uh, I don't want to be a bastard about the guy. I don't, I don't want to desecrate a corpse, but I'm also, like, re- respectfully, but also hastily. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll a dexterity for this, then. You want me to do a sleight of hand? Oh, yeah, yeah. 17. 17. So, Craw, as you are rifling kind of through this corpse here, you, you see that uh, whenever he, whoever it is, died, they were wearing, like, gardener's overalls, like, denim overalls. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing in the pockets immediately kind of catches your fancy. You, you find, like, a small scrap of maybe old seeds, a pouch for planting something. And as you're reaching into the right pocket, the right waist pocket, Suddenly, you feel a strong grip on your wrist. You look up and you see that the corpse's blank, empty eye sockets are now inches away from your face. Its cracked open jaw breathes dead, heavy air. And this grip tightens as the corpse wheezes and quickly throws itself on top of you. Oh, Jesus Christ! To the rest of you in the room, you hear a thud and you look over and you see that Crawford is pinned to the ground by this corpse with a surprising amount of strength. It's holding him by the wrists and pinning and it's just breathing heavily in his face. Be glad I put my sunglasses on. Gil runs over to try to kick him off. That's an 11. An 11. You kick as hard as you can into this corpse, crack it right across the head, but it does not budge. It's almost like kicking a brick wall. And you see the corpse's hands move their way towards Craw's throat 
As it begins to choke him, Crawford, Moss, and roll Constitution. Guys, guys, we gotta get him off! Constitute, you can still breathe. You can still amazingly breathe and you can communicate, but this this thing has an intense amount of strength. Can, uh, Help me! Can Benedict draw his sword that he just got and try to chop off one of the arms? Absolutely. All right, make an attack roll. Oh, where's the stick? 12. As you draw the sword and you slash it. Uh, I was picturing its right arm. All right, yes, its right arm. So you cleave it clean off and... The corpse kind of stumbles back off of Crawford Mawson and looks at its now missing arm, but you see that the arm that you chopped off is still wrapped tightly around Cross' throat. George, as you turn around, this is what you see, like all your worst fears come true here. (laughs) So Crawford, you're still being choked. Gil, your foot is in like an intense amount of pain from that kick. It was like Uh, kicking a brick wall. And the corpse looks up towards you, Benedict, and begins to slowly shuffle towards you. This reminds me of my one of my favorite parts of the mummy. George, George sees all this. Um, I, I want to roll a willpower to see what happens here. So if it's a good willpower, you know we'll go from there. But if it's not, help me. Uh, it's not a good one. So it's a six. Um, six. George, you are you are just terror struck. I run with fear. I will say that as you as you do this, you drop your flask and it shatters. Okay, George oh, runs off. I, I run to the oh. gate. <laughs> Which gate? The, uh, the, the big gate that's locked. Oh, okay. So George runs up the hill screaming <laughs> and yelling. <laughs> George, as you run screaming up the hill towards the gate, uh, you kind of crash into the ornate metal designs of the gate. And as you press yourself up against it, you feel an intense, chilling sensation, and you begin to see the whole world around you grow dim. What do you do? (laughs) Run back the other way. (laughs) All right. I need you to roll a willpower. Oh, boy. Uh, Seven. So as the world begins to grow dim around you, the only thing you hear is the yelling from inside the shed. You hear Krama yelling and gasping for air. Uh, you hear the scuffles of a fight. And somewhere deep down in your stomach, you remember that, you know, these are your best, perhaps your only friends in the whole world in there. And they're struggling. And you manage to shake off this fear. But before you can do anything about it, you feel a sharp thud on the back of your head. And everything goes black. Meanwhile, back in the shed. So, Kramal, you still feel this arm just gripping at your windpipe. It's getting harder and harder to breathe. Everything, you're starting to get tunnel vision. Benedict, you're just taken aback by the fact you chopped off this thing's arm as it slowly lurches towards you and wheezes. And Gil, you're just taking this in. What do you do, Gil? Uh, Gil, collecting himself, uh, remembers, oh yeah, I have a weapon. And uh, takes out his spear and tries to stab the zombie corpse in the head. All right, roll an attack. Ooh, that's going to be a uh, 21. Tell me how you do this stab. Uh, oh, so I just kicked it, so I'm standing right next to it. So I guess I just sort of take the spear and stab down like, like I'm pole fishing, kind of. Okay. Yeah, just, okay. and try not to hit crawl in the process, All right. I guess. So as your blade pierces this thing's skull, it actually snaps the head off of the body. Oh. And as you pull it back, the body goes limp. The open jaw, the open mouth of the head goes slack, and the arm around Craw's throat relaxes. That was dangerously close to being not sexy. <laughs> Uh, Gil pulls the head off of his spear. Um, As you pull the head off of your spear and the head clanks to the ground below, out of the mouth of the corpse, you hear a small metallic clink of something hitting the floor. Cool. I'll sift through (laughs) whatever uh, the area where the sound was. All right, so as you reach your hand into the the, uh, open mouth of the corpse, uh, you feel your fingers wrap tightly around something small and metallic and as you pull it out you see that it is a small key old rusted bronze key you know Carl, I respect you a lot in the fact that you just went rummaging through a corpse it attacked you 
and then you went rummaging through it again. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> Listen, you, you grow up on the farm, you rustle with a lot of animals, you put your hands in a lot of places they shouldn't be. Roll a bluff. <laughs> I don't know if the putting hands in a lot of places they shouldn't be is a bluff. <laughs> Not as, I, I've, I, I've impregnated you know a lot animals. of animals. Oh, f- uh, it's, 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 uh, 20, tw- uh, 20, 23. You know, for a second, Gil, earlier you had considered maybe all you knew about Craw is a lie, but when he says that one, something in your heart says, nah, nah. I, I know Craw, Ma. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's classic Craw. I've been fist deep in so many cows. <laughs> as he says this, I put my hand on it's like, all right, let's get you up, buddy. <laughs> kind of regretting what I just did and thinking about what he said. <laughs> as you uh, pull Crawford Mawson up, uh, a big waft of dust comes up into the air. It kind of comes back to you now that uh, George is nowhere to be seen. In the kerfuffle, we lost George. I, I thought I heard some screaming. I couldn't tell if it was Craws or George's or what. Yeah. <coughs> George, uh, George, I'm all right. <coughs> no response. Uh, Benedict goes outside. I Gil follows. All right, so uh, as you step outside, just at a cursory glance, you know, looking up the hill, you still see that gate, but it's a, it's a pretty steep incline. So, Gil, being a singer, is really good at, at recognizing voices and, and following the sound of voices. So he, he did hear the direction that George ran off as he went screaming. Uh, Benedict's leaning down at the ground, trying to see some sort of clue. Benedict, you do see as you're scanning the ground, you see a shattered flask uh, a few feet up the path, up towards the gate. Something is horribly wrong. <laughs> the, oh, so yeah, something must really be wrong if he left this behind. All right, let's go get George and start looking. I'm, yeah, oh, I thought you meant... Let's go, let's go get Crawl and look for George. Let's go get Crawl and look for George. Good plan, good plan. Okay, meanwhile, back in the shed. Crawl, what are you doing? Uh, I wanted to... F- the hand caught me off guard. I want to finish spelunking this guy's pants. Oh. <laughs> All right, so, uh... You approach the corpse again, perhaps a little wary. It's going to spring back up, and as Buck, you buckler first, as you reach into the denim pocket, you do feel something firm in your hands, and as you pull it out, it is a small vial of a red liquid, and it feels cool to the touch. Mm, this kind of—I think this looks familiar. I'm just gonna knock that into my little my little bag and uh, start my head out towards the door to find the boys. Oh, boys! Uh, Kral, we found uh, George's flask uh, broken. Oh, Jesus Christ! Gil points up towards the gate. It's like I think he went that way. We we should probably go find them. He he's already terrified. He didn't want to go that direction, and he went that direction anyway. All right, so as the group charges up the hill, you see very quickly where George went, just at the feet of the large, ominous, wrought iron gate. Uh, He lays face down in the mud. Uh, You can see almost like a a cartoon red bump on the right side of his head. Yeah, (laughs) you you see a a big red bump on the side of his head, and he's just totally ragdolled in the mud. Living in a movie? Gil's going to go over and... and, and, uh try to wake him up try to get him make, make sure he's not dead yeah you roll him over he's still breathing he just he, he, he looks horrified George roll a constitution 13 on the con okay uh surprisingly George you have not uh yourself oh that's that's great and uh just as you roll him over to check on him Gil George your eyes open very quickly and you just see Gil Albright you know inches away from your face <laughs> Um, you know, I actually think George is comforted by that. Uh, uh, what happened? Well, we killed it. The zombie? Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stabbed it in the head. Headshots will do it. Yeah. yeah. Turns out you can kill zombies. It's good good yeah. knowledge. Okay. Make sure to... The rumors were true. Make sure to remember your uh, your lessons, kids. Yeah, I got so scared there. I just, you know, I... This place is terrifying. You dropped your flask, buddy. <laughs> Now he understands that he's fucked. He's a little upset about that. And I mean, know what to say, I mean, do we want to go? We can check check the hut for he, anything that you he could, uh, he you asked if you guys heard any sort of like bell ringing. No, no. no uh, uh-huh. I mean, there was that 
there was that uh, piece of paper, or was it the or was it the book? Something bonked oh, me yeah, in the head. The, the note that was on on it says something about bells. Yeah. Yeah, I got bonked and you got bonked by bells. And then the last thing I heard was just sounded like a, a bell chime. I mean, it could couldn't have been. I mean, oh, well, I guess it could have been, but I don't know if it was. As you say that, George, there is a flash of lightning that sends sort of an ominous like brightening effect onto the gate behind you, just making its features seem more and more sort of gothic and uncomfortable. This place I, uh, is horrifying. It, it is not a pleasant place. Uh, good news, though. I found a key. It's probably, potentially, maybe, uh, opens the gate it, it, on the assumption that that gate is locked. Well. Okay, so we can, uh, we can go to the gate, or we can go back to the hut. You know, every, every, everything's okay. What about back to the town? Uh, well, we're kind of looking for somebody here before we go back to the town. We kind of got to trudge, take two steps forward, one step back. George, George is going to take a minute to compose himself. Uh, this, this crippling fear that he's feeling. Do you have any alcohol on you at all? Ah, uh, no. You know, there's, there's a church close by. You know what churches usually have? Ooh. Wine. Wine. George, you feel your heart skip a beat. Prepared now. He is he is ready to trudge into that church and take down whatever is inside. <laughs> Carl, you want to examine the gate first? See if that key works or Sure. Do we want to finish investigating? Do we get everything we needed in the hut? I think so. There wasn't much in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, let's uh uh, Gil, would you like the key? You are the uh, you are the front man. Yeah, I can I can hold on to it. You are the golden yeah. Gil. All right, Gil. As you approach the gate, uh, the lock looks a little bit different than you thought from afar. So first off, this uh, this gate and this wall in particular are very tall. We're talking maybe forty feet. The wall is made of old chiseled stone, but the gate is a black wrought iron. Uh, there are ornate engravings depicting various creatures. You got gargoyles atop the gate. And there are, uh, there's a pattern of X-crossing chains right in the center where you would think like a, a lock would go, you know, for a typical key. Right in the center, which is, at, you know, about 20 feet up. So you're, you're, you're looking up at this. There is a circular indentation and a small hook, uh, kind of like a gardening hook, like you might hang something on. There are words at the top of the gate but you're going to need to find a way to get a better look. Because you, you, looking up, you know, you can't really read. It's 40 feet up. Gil pulls out his phone, turns the flashlight on, points at the 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 words, p- opens up his camera app and zooms in to see if he can get a better look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I was actually going to recommend him doing that same thing. I'm not going to lie to you. That's why I thought about that. <laughs> Very good. So... The gate, the words simply read, Please the Lord. Please the Lord. And as you say that out loud, there's another crack of thunder. As the rain begins to come down heavily, the whole, you know, horizon here, everything around you darkens, not necessarily because it's night, but because of the cloud cover overhead, so everything has grown quite dim and ominous. The thunder booms, lightning crashes, rain falls, and the group hears the echoing from amidst the gravestones of a high-pitched bell. For whom the bell tolls. Rock and Roll for Initiative is a lovingly made D&D podcast by Zach, Nathan, Andy, Biggs, Roger, and Tyler, a group of lifelong friends who really just enjoy playing D&D. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Rock and Roll for Initiative and invite you to check out our Patreon, Facebook, or TikTok pages for weekly updates, clips, playlists, and more. Visit our website at rr4initiative.com. That's rr4initiative.com. Be sure to check back for new episodes every other Wednesday. We'd like to give a special shout-out and a serious thank you to our newest Patreon members, Grix Teague, Nath Ridge, Spooky Grook, Snow, 
Simp for Gooseberries, and Frost. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We can't wait to interact with you more. Music creation, production and editing by Roger, episode production and editing by the team here at Rock and Roll for Initiative. Certain sound effects and extra clips acquired under the Creative Commons license. Necessary credits when applicable are available on our website. The story, all names, characters, and incidents portrayed in this production are fictitious. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This product is a piece of fictional entertainment media and should not be understood to have any legal backing. Rock and Roll for Initiative.